Coming up on the Money Beat Podcast, yes, it's August in the markets. Of course, they're slow, they're quiet, but they will not remain that way. So let's take a look ahead. What is in store for the economy? What's in store for the stock market? What is in store for interest rates? When will the Fed raise again? It is an economic roundtable with Columbia Threadneedle strategist Ed Al-Husseini. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome to the Money Beat Podcast on this Wednesday in August in New York City. In the studio, Paul and Stephen and our dear comrade Ben Eisen. Gentlemen, how are we all today? I'm doing well. Doing well. How are you? I'm all right. I'm doing all right. And we have on the phone somebody whom we we owed a favor to. Uh, Ed Al-Husseini is Global Macro Investment Strategist at Columbia Threadneedle Investments. And you almost heard Ed on Friday. Ed was here. Ed was supposed to be on the podcast. We're going to do a quick segment about, as you all know now, infamously, cargo shorts. And then we were going to, we were going to, uh, we were going to transition to something a little more serious. But we were just having too much fun with the cargo shorts. And Ed, we had to bump you. But don't take it personal. Ed, we would have bumped anybody who wasn't wearing cargo shorts on Friday. I think that's fair. And yeah. I was not wearing cargo shorts. Exactly. Exactly. So we couldn't have you on, but we wanted to get you on. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, so listen, let's just, you know, it's, it's look, it's a Wednesday in August. Dog days are pretty much here. Markets are not moving a tremendous amount. Not a heavy data week, but there is important data out this week. Oh, and, and also on the Friday that when we when we bumped Ed, uh, oh, yeah, the, jo- the jobs report right. is what we wanted to talk about. Right. Not even the jobs report could get us away from cargo shorts on Friday. <laughs> so so l- let's start there, Ed, because we did have the jobs report. We do have some, some important second-tier data this week, which I think sort of is painting an interesting picture of the economy. But I want to get your take on it, and then we can kind of spin that out into what it means for the markets and the Fed. Sure. So maybe to start with the the labor market report and, and the GDP numbers, um, you know, I think it, it sort of confirms uh, two two broad narratives in terms of what's going on with with, with the U.S. economy. One is that you know we are um, we pretty much excel at generating jobs, uh, and we're able to squeeze jobs out of a very mediocre uh, and potentially declining growth rate, and that's. Um, you know, on the upside, that's that's fantastic. That supports uh, real wage growth. That supports the consumption sector. That supports the retail economy. Um, on the downside, what that means is, of course, that our productivity is declining. Now, I think the declining productivity story, I think it flares up, um, I, I want to say, like two or three times a year. But it's really a story that's been with us for, you know, the better part of 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what I see is very much a continuation of that, of that trend. Um, and, you know, we can kind of dive into whether there are measurement issues at play and, 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 and so on. But um, the, a low growth, low productivity, and close to full employment, if not full employment scenario, is, is pretty much where we've arrived at the um, middle of this year. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, productivity was interesting yesterday. It was sort of, um, you know, it seemed like people started really focusing on it now that we've had three straight quarters of declining productivity. And, um, I mean, I just wonder if declining productivity versus slowing productivity, does that change the this, this story at all in terms of, you know, the narrative we've had that you've mentioned over the last 15 years? 
Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good point. I, I, I'd say, you know, from a quarter-to-quarter basis, um, the movement and the productivity numbers are, are, are very noisy. Um, I think, you know, obviously it's not great that we've had three straight quarters of declines. I think that's, that's something that hasn't been with us since the early 80s. Um, you know, it's not positive. I'm not too worried about it yet. Um, I, I very much see this as, as this broader trend um, of productivity decline. I think uh, we are going to get um, a little bit of a bump in the second year, both in terms of growth and, and I expect an improvement in productivity. But um, uh, I think obviously it's not it's not a positive picture. Um, it adds to this sort of constellation of data we have coming out of developed markets, really, again, for the better part of the last decade and a half, where productivity is declining and that decline has accelerated post-crisis. One of, the, one of the questions is both productivity and obviously GDP are you know backwards looking. They're looking at the second quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, and Paul's going to hate me for what I'm about to I, say I next. I can never hate you, Steve um, But, you know, wh- how much is, do you think the second half is going to pick up? I mean, I f- granted, and I have to say this, we've been saying this for, what, seven, eight years now, but do you think there's going to finally be a, a solid pickup in the second half? <laughs> Look, you know, I, I want to say I'm optimistic, and I want to say I'm optimistic for uh, for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, the, the silver lining of the GDP numbers is that the consumption sector is still very solid. Um, I think households are still, from a balance sheet perspective, are, are very well positioned to continue to support consumption. Real wages are growing, and I think the, the click at which real wages are growing is starting to finally pick up. Um, so I think it bodes well for the second half. A big chunk of, uh, obviously, the disappointment on the headline has been the inventory correction. Um, I have to acknowledge that you know we we have had this inventory overhang build up over several years. We have certain quarters where it, it starts to get drawn down, and, and there's probably still more drawdown to come along. Um, but I think the, the 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 sort of the core of of the growth story, which again is, is consumption, and um, marginally stability in the dollar and and stability in, in energy prices, I think should be very positive for the second half. Do you want to jump in, Ben? Or um, I mean, it, it's uh, it's it, it's it's hard not to to listen to that, and as Steve said, you know, think, well, we've heard this many times before, and. Um I think that that that's something I wonder if sort of the broad, broader markets have finally become skeptical to this idea that that sure. that we've uh you know that that further ahead things will get better. Um I mean do you think that that, that there'll be you know what would the market what would, I mean if you look at interest rates and you look at uh stock markets what do you think the market needs to to really see in order to believe that a pickup is is finally here? Now I think I think we're seeing a little bit more optimism in, in equity markets. Um, I think when I look at at rates markets, there are two dynamics at play here. You know, we're trying to read the tea leaves on what the Fed's reaction function is going to be um, looking ahead. You know, given that. Um, a good chunk of the concerns that they have at least verbalized in the first half have have been addressed. You know, we, we're seeing a, a much more stable labor market. Um, we're seeing inflation start to again pick up in the margins. Although headline is, you know, you have to acknowledge again the headline um, is still uh, quite far from the two percent target. Um, and um, and then the the other thing is obviously a solid bid from 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 abroad. The demand for 
safe assets. And in fact, the demand for positive yielding safe assets is not going anywhere. Um, I think that keeps the longer end of the U.S. Treasury curve very well anchored. And, um, and I think those two factors are going to determine rates. I think they have less to do with um, sort of the month-to-month quarterly data at this point. I think the Fed's essentially the Fed's transition to data dependence has made them very myopic. Um, and you can kind of see that in their forecast. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty and a tremendous amount of volatility in their forecasts. Um, and and uh, I think what the f- market is doing is very actively discounting the Fed's degrees of freedom to move uh, over the next 12 months. I mean, does that does that raise the bar? I mean, when you look ahead to when will the Fed lift next and what will they look at, I mean, does that raise the bar to lift rates or does it lower the bar? Um, I, I think the Fed has set a very high hurdle rate for itself to to move on rates. Um, if you think of sort of the, the menu of things that they can reach for to say to justify staying on hold, I think it's expanded. Um, you know, they can bring back concerns about China. They can bring back concerns about um, the dollar and, and whether we're in fact making progress towards the inflation target, um, and very actively overlook the fact that we've we've pretty much hit their mandate on on the labor market front, um, and the fact that there's nothing they can do on the productivity front. So, when it comes to growth, and this is something uh, you know, Chair Yellen has has verbalized a couple of times. Those are structural issues um, on which the Fed's, uh, you know, has very few uh, sort of policy levers. Um, so I think, again, the, the hurdle rate is quite high. There is a case to be made, and I think, you know, I don't think it's a weak case. I think there is a case to be made for um, expectations management and um, and and the fact that, you know, this isn't a rate normalization process. This isn't a rate hiking cycle. Uh, you know, to date, we've just had one move. Um, and it's been very, very idiosyncratic in terms of their forward, forward-looking communication. So I think the Fed's going to feel the pressure to come out and clarify what it's going, what its outlook is for the second half of the year and going into 2017. Um, and I think there's an opportunity to do that at the end of this month um, at, at Jackson Hole. But uh, the hurdle rate remains very high in my mind. Okay. Uh, let's take a break. We have a lot more questions. But uh, we have to get this important message out. We will come back on the other side of it. Hey, this is Stephen Perlberg from the WSJ Media Mix podcast. Are you interested in the biggest changes in the media and advertising business from Facebook to Snapchat? Tune into the WSJ Media Mix podcast for interviews with some of the biggest names in media, from Gawker CEO Nick Denton to Turner President David Levy. For more, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome back to the Money Beat podcast. And folks, listen out there. If you want more great WSJ podcasts, you can check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. We have a lot of offerings for you. We have WSJ Opinion, we have the Tech News Briefing, Speakeasy, Heard on the Street, What's News, the Free for All, Your Money Matters, and of course... 
moneybeat. You can follow us on Twitter at WSJ.com podcasts. And you can become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and also look for us on the Google Play Music app on your Android devices. And we are here today in the studio, Paul, Stephen, and Ben, talking to Ed Al-Husseini, who is Global Macro Investment Strategist at Columbia Threadneedle Investments. Ed, welcome back to the podcast. Good to be here, guys. Good to be here. I, I'm just impressed you got through that all. I mean, that's getting to be a long, you're, long you're, <laughs> you're impressed that I can read? <laughs> yes. Thank well, you. Thank still, you. Thank you. Is that going to go, so re- that gonna go in my review? Yeah, no. Uh, I'll, I'll, Reads I'll well. Uh, Ed, I, one of the questions that's sort of, I think, on the market's mind, and it's probably the biggest question, is, is the Fed going to be able to raise rates this year? Um, especially given that we are entering a polit- uh, you know an election um, cycle that is you know it's t- the the Fed is typically shied away from raising rates in too, um, but investors and, and you know have consistently bet this year that you know the Fed will not be able to raise rates and it, right. it seems like the Fed's going to be running out of you know runway to do that. Yeah, no, I think it's fair. I think it's fair, and you know the, the November meeting falls, I think, a week before the election. So I, I, I think it's, um, I think it's fair to kind of nix that. And you know, again, in my mind, I'd say the best opportunity to make a move right now is, is actually September. Um, you know, we have an opportunity to both revise uh, the Fed's forecast, um, prep the market at the end of August um, uh, when when Yellen speaks. And, and and make a move and, and sort of signal that its credibility is is still with us um, and that you know it might not be able to raise rates as fast as uh, the last set of projections um, implies but you know we are still raising rates um, hmm. if it doesn't then I think it's fair to say the market will price continue to price out that action well into the middle perhaps the second half of next year. I mean, you look at, can they really raise, I mean, I guess one of the concerns I would have with raising rates is the, what the, how the markets would react um, to any rate raise, especially going into the election season, given the fact that, you know, you had back in, was it the July meeting or the June meeting where you had, the, you know, the Fed officials even. It was July, right? Yeah, reducing their expectations yeah. for a hike this mm-hmm. year. Well, look, or the I, number I mean, I, of hikes this I year. Think of it, I, think it, I think there are, there are two elements to this. One, we have spent an inordinate amount of time talking about a difference of 25 basis points because that's what the next hike will be, 25 basis points from a level that is historically, you know, extremely low. On the other hand, and this gets back to what we were talking about in, in the first segment. I mean, when I look at the economy, I see corporate profits overall not growing. Uh, you know, you, you talk about wage, wages a couple times, Ed, and wages. Yeah, they're up from where they were, but I mean, they're not at any kind of you know really healthy rate. I mean, two and a half percent wage growth is not a lot. Then you look at the productivity numbers, and you look at the corporate profits. I mean, how much more room do employers have to keep giving people increases in wages? You look at the GDP reports. We're running at basically a one percent economy. I mean, even if the second half is a pickup, what's it a pickup from, and where is it taking us? How much room does the Fed really have to raise rates? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that headroom is very limited. Um, you know, I think if if we're able to pull off like three, four hikes uh, before the next recession, I think it will be uh, quite an achievement. 
Well, at this and rate, that'll the next recession's yeah. coming in five years. I know. I mean, um, they're moving really slow. And the other thing too is like when you look at the market reaction because you say, oh, just a quarter, you know. The markets have, you know, had issues every time we even got close right. to, yes. you know, volatility right. picks up, finan- you know, financing conditions tighten, uh, it, which, you know, <laughs> goes against what the Fed yeah. wants. But, but I it- wonder, if, but I do wonder if, if when they finally lift rates this year, if they do lift rates, maybe it is sort of a calming factor for the markets. I mean, I think one thing that markets and the Fed has encouraged markets to do to look at is sort of what's the trajectory of rate hikes. And if you, you know, you get the second rate hike and you have another point on your on your charts of the trajectory of rate hikes, maybe maybe there's a little well, bit more and, certainty. And, and, and look, I mean, assume that the markets don't have an August meltdown, right? Assume that August is dog days are really quiet. We're where we are now in September. You're telling me that the, the Federal Reserve is afraid of raising 25 basis points when the stock market is basically at all-time highs? I mean, Ed, somebody, you know, like... Yeah, the, I mean, I'd say, like, you know, fundamentally, if you look at financial conditions, and this, this has been a key benchmark that they keep coming back to. Financial conditions are extremely accommodative. We've not seen right. spread widening, either in high yield or, or investment grade. Uh, that's commensurate with the amount of distress in those sectors. Um, you know, we Obviously, the dollar is traded sideways, perhaps marginally weaker, um, and equities are at record high. So, from, from that perspective, there is a lot of room. There is a lot of accommodation that remains in the economy, and a 25 basis point hike is not going to make a difference. Um, and I, you know, I think there is a mechanism. There's sort of a self-balancing mechanism here, and that's the dollar. Um, and you know, there is going to come a point where a strong dollar rally will cap how much the Fed can move. But I don't think a 25 basis point move. Um, warrants sort of uh, yeah. a violent reaction on that front. Let, let's let's switch gears a little bit and talk about something else that is that is collaring the Fed's ability to move, and that is the fact that y- you look at fixed income globally, and you now have I don't know what the exact numbers at this minute. You know, it's somewhere around ten trillion dollars of of globally issued government bonds that have negative yields. The whole move towards negative rates, and the fact that all these other central banks are being aggressive on what they're doing. How does that dynamic play out, Ed? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's it's critical. I, I think particularly longer end of uh, yield curves in in Europe, Japan, uh, pretty soon in, in, in the UK, going negative. Um, perhaps even has less to do with policy rates going negative, but just the fact that QE has pulled so much supply out of the market um, that uh, it, you know that flattening of the curves is is, is almost inevitable. And uh, by comparison, our our yield curve, the Treasury curve, uh, starts to look very attractive. You know, uh, yeah. even though again, you know, twos, tens spread is you know eighty something basis points. Um, we have investors coming in. We have investors now coming in from Japan and Europe that are coming in unhedged because hedging costs are so high. Um, that demand is not abated. So um, I think it keeps the longer end of the curve, you know, very well bid and very well anchored. Um, and so the front end, uh, you know, we, we could potentially see a little bit of volatility in the front end. Uh, but if you kind of use your, the two-year as your benchmark, it's, it's basically been trading sideways since the beginning of the year as well. Um, so I think, I think there's a lot of stability and there are a lot of ceilings that have come into place because of these global factors. Um, and it should give the Fed comfort that if it does move, 
uh, look, financing costs for corporates, uh, particularly investment-grade corporates, are not uh, are not going to materially change. I mean, I think one thing that that um, it really has everyone sort of seems to agree that uh, you know foreign demand for U.S. debt is just like is just you know like crazy strong and and. Um, I, I I just wonder if if is that is that really the case? Is there really uh, not a point at which you know foreign investors would say, okay, like this is not uh, this is not working for us anymore? Uh, Japanese investors, you know, decide to put their money in another country's debt. Um, it, it, it seems like like the the um, the ceiling that that puts uh, on on interest rates seems like it could kind of go away as as quickly as it came. Um, and, and it seems like maybe we even saw that uh, in the last couple months, where you had uh, not as strong bidding at, at some of these treasury auctions from from indirect bidders, from which is sort of a proxy for foreign demand. And um, maybe now it's back, but is it is that sort of a volatile how, how source dare of demand? You, how dare you suggest that U.S. government debt is not the best investment in the world? <laughs> ben Eisen, oh, what are you? How dare you say such a charged, politically charged <laughs> statement on the Money Beat podcast? That's um, too bad, though. No, no, it's it's a good point. It's a good point, Ed. I was just making a joke there, but what do you think of, of that? No, no, I think I think that's a solid point, and and you can see several uh, sort of events that would bring a little bit of term premium back into our curve, and I think all of them have to do with fiscal policy. All of them have to do with either fiscal policy in Europe, uh, Japan, or or here domestically that will bring some additional supply online. Um, and implicitly, what the bet is here is that even if we have um, expansionary fiscal policy come online, it's, it's not going to be significant enough to move the needle on supply. Um, and so, you know, uh, pension managers, investment companies globally, um, that demand will continue to outstrip supply safe assets for really for the foreseeable future um, at the moment. So that I think that keeps the curve bid. Does that mean we can we can't have a 25 basis sell-off? No, of course we you know we can have a 25 basis point move, um, but uh, what's the likelihood that we're going to see, you know, ten-year uh, treasuries at, uh, you know, two and a half and twelve months? I, I think that's that's you know an outside case. One of the questions I've sort of you know ta- mentioned this a couple of times on this podcast, but how does the election play into all of this? Uh, well, I'd say you know, um, from a fiscal perspective, it's likely that whoever is elected. Um, uh, will be pumping additional uh, spending into additional government spending into into the economy, and I think on on the margin that's positive. I think that brings a little bit of supply online, um, and I think it's stimulative from from an aggregate demand perspective. Um, in terms of risks, obviously with a Trump presidency, you know, a whole slew of um, economic uncertainties and, and risks to policy start to materialize. Um, you know, in my mind, again, that's, um, you know, looking at the polls and, and the models of the moment, it's, uh, you know, 25% odds, roughly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps a little bit better. Um, so it's, it's still not the central scenario. But um, if we see a President Trump in the White House, um, uh, beginning of next year, um, it's likely that we will see an acceleration of um, uh, or a deceleration in, in, in investment. Um, I, I definitely see that that case coming to mm-hmm. coming to pass, and um, and then we're going to have to ask ourselves really hard questions in terms of uh, you know to what extent will Congress be a check on on Trump's agenda. 
Uh, it's 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 a tough one, um, but from a rates from a pure rates perspective, I don't think we're going to see foreign investors abandon this market. It's still the the deepest, the most liquid market. Um, the dollar continues to be quite attractive, mm-hmm. and um, you know unless we start to see Treasury issuance go through the roof, um, you know yields will continue to to grind lower. So for for a foreign investor, still very solid. For for domestic investors, given where yeah. equity markets are, is, is uh, you know Treasury is going to start to look more attractive again as well. Right. Do you think Do you think the election also will keep the Fed on the sideline? If we see a, a Trump uh, victory, uh, either one, just the the you know just not you mean wanting basically to have in an September? impact. Yeah, in September, you know, basically the idea that they don't want to play a role in impacting the outcome. Yeah, I mean, I think I think September uh, is still is still an option for them to to do something, and, and again, you know, the odds of that aren't, aren't extremely high, but uh, you know. Come November or December, I think they're much less likely to move. Uh, I think they would want to see, um, you know, some policy outlines start to come online, so they can revise their uh, their growth for- forecasts for for whatever fiscal policy is, is in the pipeline. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think the election does kind of pause any moves uh, in, in towards the end of the year and early next year. All right. Uh, we are going to leave it there. We have, uh, we've taken up enough of your time, folks, out there. We thank you for it. Ed Al-Husseini from Columbia Threadneedle Investments. Thanks for coming on today, Ed. We appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yep. And everyone, we'll catch up with you probably. We'll, we'll talk to you again on Friday. Have a good day. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.